Growth Through Grief podcast, where we interview individuals just like you dealing with their own journey from loss to growth, along with mental health experts, growth guides, all with the purpose of helping you heal better, improve mind, body, and spirit, and find your new purpose from the loss and the tragedy that you've unfortunately experienced. Hi, I'm Tom Pasello. I'm your host. I'm a growth evangelist, as well as a fellow widower, having lost my beautiful bride of 19 years, Judy, some five years ago today. We have a returning guest. She is a favorite of ours on the show, Helen Keeling Neal. She's a licensed mental health counselor, licensed marriage and family therapist, and a nationally certified counselor with a private practice here in our hometown of Winter Park, Florida. Uh, as well, Helen is on the board of Growth Through Grief, and she focuses on all things having to do with the mind. And she also is, unfortunately, has a personal experience with grief and loss herself, as a widow, her husband passing away when her children were only four and six years old. Helen, welcome. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me back. Awesome. Well, we're here to talk about children and the grief that they experience and how, as parents, we can help them. Um, first thing is, is, you know, we're going through our own grief. Our kids are going through their grief. Um what have you seen some of the issues been with, with parents in terms of expressing their grief in front of their children? Yeah, this is a really good question. Everything changes when a child loses a parent. Everything changes when a spouse loses a partner. Um, and, and it's that difficulty with being able to cope with one's own grief and loss, as well as supporting and helping a child navigate through their grief and loss. <laughs> and I know from my personal experience, I'll, I'll use myself as, as a, a difficulty. I am a very intense feeler. I've got a history of complex trauma, which meant that when I experienced this grief and loss, I was unable to contain. There was some very big feelings were coming out of me. I didn't have any containment at times. My kids were four and six. And I took my kids into therapy and the, the therapist, they were working with a play therapist. What he told me was for my younger child is that I needed to regulate more around my child. Hmm. And it was such a wonderful wake up call for me. I needed to not be so upset that my child felt like there was nobody capable of taking care of her. And, and that's what can happen. We can see a parent nosedive into a depression or repress and shut down and then have anger coming out sideways. Yeah. So Helen, my experience with it was the exact opposite. So instead of emoting perhaps more, I actually emoted less and I went into stoic mode. I went back into my busyness of uh, going back to my business as an entrepreneur, had 21 people working for me at the time, plus contractors and had to get back to it. Otherwise we were going to lose the business. And I put on a tough stoic mask. I was like, I'm going to show the girls that everything's going to be okay. But that had, negative results as well. Talk about that. Talk about the, the challenges of you spoke about emoting too much and then your child feeling like, well, the world is falling apart. I've got no one to take care of me. But the opposite of being too stoic also has an impact. 
Yes, it really does. But what's so fascinating about this is they both have the same impact. Mm -hmm. And that is that the message is to not have feelings. The first one with the over-emoting is there's not enough room for your feelings. The child has to be the one that tries to regulate the family when they really are having a trouble developmentally regula regulating themselves emotionally. That's the role that they're, they're on. So no feelings are allowed there. There's only space for the big feelings of the parent. And then with stoicism, it's like, let's pretend that everything's okay, no matter what. There is no room for grief. There's no room for sadness. No, there's no room for anger. There's no language around it. There's no permission to let that up and out. It's it's business as usual. In mm -hmm. fact, it's business as usual, but in a more boxed in manner emotionally. Yeah, and I would say more boxed in than even through the illness process. And I found yes. that my girls, unfortunately, and you know, this is the beauty of hindsight going through it, we're doing what we think we need to do. But, you know, now looking back, they had to go elsewhere, which it makes me so sad thinking about this, but they had to go elsewhere. They had to go to other households. They had to go to friends to emote, to have that safe space, to feel their emotions. They couldn't really do it at home because I wasn't giving them permission to do it by being so stoic. The good news about that is, Tom, as hard as it is to look back and see what we did as parents in the face of this loss, mm -hmm. what your children had were safe houses and safe people and a safe support system and safe attachment to where they could go and process their feelings. So in that sense, their needs were cared for. It may not have been uh, directly with you in the way that you would now do it. But mm -hmm. they did have people around them who could help them with that. And that's what we see is one of the keys for children when they lose a parent is an extended support system, not just with the parent who is grieving so much, but mm -hmm. to have friends and family who can step in and be those people in the times when we as, as parents cannot. Yeah. So and we need to give good. ourselves grace to know that there are these other people that can help. We do not have to do it alone. We do have our own feelings and they're deep. Um, the trauma of the loss of a spouse is more so on a point scale based on research than the trauma that you go through through divorce or almost any other loss or trauma in your life. So there's a lot that we're going through. We don't have to be everything to everybody. Certainly our kids are always going to be or try to be a priority for us, but there are other people that we can rely on. Now, Helen, I don't think you had that though with, with the children or did you? Like, where did you, my kids were older at the time. Yeah. So they had those established relationships. They had other households where they would go to dinner and, and almost second homes, especially through the illness process. Talk about yeah. when it's young children, what resources or help you can get for them. Yeah, so that's really important too. One of the big things that becomes an issue is depending on a financial circumstances, if there's a big financial change with the loss of a spouse, there's a change in childcare right there. Mm. You lose the person who can stay with the kids while you pop out to pick up something from the store. That doesn't exist anymore when you have small children. So it adds this tremendous burden and tremendous stress. Mm -hmm. There's also a vulnerability that can happen to children when they're young and you're 
uh, depending on friends and, and extended family members to take care of them. Children after loss are very vulnerable and we do see that sometimes they can be, um, you know, prey for predators. Mm. And they can be set up in a way that they may not have been uh, exposed to in the past if there were two parents around or if they, you, you know, you're having to take a risk and trust someone yeah. because you're just so desperate for the help. Oh and gosh, that's heartbreaking. You know, this was a challenge for my daughter. She had an experience that was an abusive experience because oh. she was vulnerable after the loss of her dad. I'm so sorry. So it's difficult. But then you, you know, as a parent, you have to, thank you, you have to trust, you have to extend because it's just not realistic to do it by oneself. Yeah. It just isn't. One yeah. of the things we know that I want to talk a little bit about what we see when children of varying ages, whether it's 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 four to six or 10 to 12 or, or teenage ages, what we see if they don't get the support or have the support, we see increased depression, increased anxiety. We see uh, children turning towards um, sex and sexual relationships as a way to fulfill that need and the comfort. And so mm -hmm. having a way to grieve appropriately and age appropriately is really important. Yeah, drugs and alcohol, I'm sure it can be a, a challenge as well in that where they turn to other things to medicate or um, outlets for their frustrations and their anxiety. What do our kids need from us the most? I wish I would have asked a therapist that question. What do you think that is? Um, I think it depends on the child sometimes, but they need consistency. They need the boundaries that were in place, the limits and expectations that were in place behaviorally to be consistent afterwards. And this is one of the things that I see that's very difficult because you're just exhausted. And so keeping the consistent boundaries, okay, no, we're not going to have two desserts. It's If you're struggling with your own feelings, it's very difficult. No, um, go ahead, use the iPad stay on the video game, those <laughs> boundaries go away because the spouse is exhausted and is having to set them now and follow through with them now um, all by themselves. And also because you feel bad for your children. Mm -hmm. child. That was, yeah, Helen, awful. I fell into that with my youngest, especially where I felt like she was shortchanged through it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm probably not as disciplined and not as diligent with her as I certainly was with my eldest and certainly was with my partner. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree that there's some of that just by the sheer nature of being a single parent, that my younger child got more leeway than my eldest did. But there's also, there's, that's a firstborn, secondborn thing anyway, which just yeah. was accentuated by, by this circumstance. Do you I, see that as the biggest mistake that's made is that that lack of consistency? And I can I can definitely see it because grief is not consistent. So you yourself and your emotional state and even your thinking state is is impaired because there are waves of grief and this nonlinear experience that we're going through through this healing process to where that solid foundation you had in partnership is no longer there. And so I think it becomes easy to be not consistent with the yes. kids. Yes. Well, you know, I, I, 
I view this not so much as a mistake because I have a lot of empathy for surviving through these mm -hmm. kind of circumstances and not being able to dig in and be consistent because it is so challenging with grief. But I do see that there can be a lot of an effect on a child when there isn't that consistency. Because when the rules change, it's confusing. Mm -hmm. Children are designed developmentally as they age and, and it peaks in adolescence to run against these fences. If we think of having fences around a child, their job is to run against a fence and the fence is what helps them feel safe. Yeah. Now, we think children should not be running against fences. Yes, their job is to run against fences. It's part of their development. If the fences are too porous and they break through the fence, a child will start to feel unsafe on the inside. If mm. the fences are too strong and push back and box them in, the child will start to feel unsafe and angry and resentful as well. So we want safe, appropriate boundaries as consistent as possible. Wow. But difficult to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that, Helen. And I have never read anything that used that analogy, but I think it's really um, enlightening to me to think of it that way, that it's not a matter of discipline or control. Right. It's safety. actually safety. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. love that. Now, one of the things I know that my girls have experienced is um, there was a tea, mm -hmm. a mother-daughter tea event at Pepperdine University where both of them thankfully went to together. Yeah. And my oldest was able to take my younger daughter to the tea event. But it didn't take them long to realize, even though they had each other, that mom wasn't there. Right. And they saw all the other girls with their moms. And even though they had each other, they left the event in tears, unfortunately. Yes. And I only yeah. heard about this afterwards. I wasn't there. Talk about the triggers and, and what do we do as parents when that occurs? Well, I have to say, your girls are amazing for the way they handled that and they went together. And I'm really glad that they allowed themselves their tears because how could it not come up? And it's going to yeah. come up at graduation. It's going to come up at a wedding. It's going to come up when there's a child born. So what they're doing is actually really honoring their grief. And as awful and as hard as it is, we can't protect them from that. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, we don't want to mm -hmm. because it is important that those feelings come up and out. I just, you know, I can't even say donuts with dads without feeling mad, you know, <laughs> it's just because our kids become marginalized in those kind of situations, which is supposed to be such a lovely thing, but that loss is accentuated in a situation where it's focused on a parent and that parent's not there. Yeah. So I think your bottom line there, and this is good advice that I needed to be reminded of quite a bit, Helen, is don't overprotect them through this. Don't try to take away those feelings, right? Let them experience those things because that is part of the healing process. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that really impacted me with my kids when they got 
you know, there are a lot of tears. There are a lot of tears going on for my eldest, who was older and and so had more cognitive awareness of her dad and what was going on. The youngest was four, so it was a little bit different. Hers was much more sort of visceral and emotional reaction was the amount of anger that they had because they felt so out of control about it all. Mm -hmm. And I taught my kids to punch a pillow. My youngest, she'd never had tantrums before then. She started having full-on tantrums at age four. I would have to, she cracked the wall in her room, kicking it. A kid who'd never had tantrums because she was so angry and so upset. And kids register this kind of loss which can generalize into other areas of their life as feeling out of control. Mm -hmm. I remember one time they didn't have the blueberry flavor at Jeremiah's and my four-year-old lost it, lost it. She'd never lost it over something like that before, but it was that piece of not having control and, and feeling it at this deep unconscious level in connection with this grief and loss. Yeah. But a lot of feelings need to come up and out. And then we have to teach them how to express them in a way that's appropriate and regulate. And yeah. So they will have, you know, we've talked about in prior episodes, kind of the amygdala overload reactions that we have as adults. Well, they as children will have those same, if not more amplified, yes. right? So yes. fight, flight, freeze, and fawn are the top four. Um, Talk about each one briefly and kind of how we can maybe recognize in our children that they're experiencing these these triggers and these outbursts because of the grief. Well, a good example would be teenagers. They, mm -hmm. they'll, they're wired to fight anyway because they're trying to differentiate, but they might notch up or escalate that, that anger and that fighting component even more as mm -hmm. a result of that because they're just grieving deeply and, you know, we see depression in teens is expressed a lot of times as anger. Mm -hmm. So we can see that in, in the fight. Obviously, my little Sarah at that point was was fighting. She would fight with her body. She would flail. And I would actually hold her. I, you know, my rules were that you can't hurt yourself or anybody else. Mm -hmm. And you can't, you can't break anything over here. But what you can do is this. Would you like me to hold you while you punch stuff or mm -hmm. would you like While you to get it out yeah mm -hmm. those kind of things and then with the flight flight is oh it can be sneaky it can be in the phone with the teens it can be in the room closing the door it can be through substance use it can be through eating it can mm -hmm. be through hooking up it can be through um shutting down uh, numbing out in some way or form, television, sleeping, all those kinds of things. Um, submit. You know, I was thinking about this earlier, actually. There's something that can happen where a, a child will either be enrolled by a parent or enroll themselves as being the surrogate spouse yeah. in the family. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I, I don't know if this is a submit role it seems to me it's like a submitting to a new role within the family yeah it's the trying Making to please aspect of fawn right yep. yes 
Mm -hmm. right? That's where I was going with that. Exactly. And then the, or in the becoming a perfect student or uh, getting an identity that way. So the focus is not on what's over here. I can just focus on this achievement. Equivalent is the student is the child's equivalent to workaholism. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Love it. Love it, Helen. And like you said, you've got to let your child emote in that way, yes. but also set boundaries so that, like you said, you can't hurt Definitely. someone else. You can't hurt yourself. You can't break anything, but do let it out. You do need some time by yourself, but yes. we have to limit that because otherwise yes. and, it becomes, yeah. And getting them into therapy, having them in therapy, the teens will be especially resistant to this. And this is why I always just think it's really important to set that up immediately at that this is a family norm. We're going to do this. We're going to go to New Hope for Grieving Children and Family on teen night, and you'll meet other teens who are going through the same thing. We're going to have an individual therapist notice your grades are dropping. You're not submitting any work. Um, let's, let's work on that together, and then get some extra help in outside of mom or dad so that you can go and talk to the therapist because the, they need a space to talk about us. Mm -hmm. as well as the deceased parent. They yes. need to be able to go and unload about my mom cries all the time or my dad doesn't show any feelings. I don't know if I'm angry because it doesn't look like he misses her at all. Or you, They need to have a space where they have an adult that they can talk to who's not us a lot of times. But again, you yeah. have to make sure they're a very safe and helpful one. Yeah. And, and I do see some widowers where that's delayed. I was lucky in that Judy actually enrolled the kids with a therapist even before she passed because she knew that they were grieving right. through the disease process, right? And her not being well. And yes. that was a godsend because they were able to continue that on. For those who haven't gotten a therapist yet, I think what you're saying is that the healing really can't progress without that, or it's, it's difficult to do it. You're taking it all on yourself or you're putting it on friends. And I know I'm not a professional therapist. Friends mm -hmm. aren't professional. And you really need that grief counseling for the kid, for the children. It's very, very helpful. It's very helpful to have it in a group as well. So New mm -hmm. Hope is was such a great resource locally. And there's a lot of other groups all over the country that can be a resource. And they would do things like a camp, you know, where you got to go to sleepaway camp and sleep in a tent and, and a lot of art, which can be so helpful in expressing for children, you know, experiential stuff to help let it out. Yeah. yeah really Love important. it. And I do think that was an important part of the girls even, mm -hmm. even making it through to the extent that they've made it through. Um, yeah. Special occasions continue to be um, a challenge. Uh, obviously, five years later, they're getting easier, but, uh, you know, there's still awkwardness. There's still sadness on those days. There's still, you know, a lot of doors being closed and not, you know, not really sharing a lot, kind of being inward, uh, which is the way that at least one of my daughters expresses herself. Talk about special occasions and how we make those better for the children. I think, you know, everything has changed. And that first year, there's every birthday, every Mother's Day, every Father's mm -hmm. Day, every 
you know, Eid, every Easter, every Hanukkah, every Christmas, every New Year's, every Valentine's Day. It's like, what the heck? How grueling is this to go through with this hole in our family and the hole in our hearts? There's a way to create new traditions that can honor the lost parents. And if you can, to bring an element of fun into it. Yes, tears. Yes, grieving. And yes, we're going to honor this by going and getting a milkshake. Or we're going to let a balloon go. Mm-hmm. For little children, it's very memorable to do that. Or we're going to go and paint a family picture. Or we're going to um, put this special dad ornament or mum ornament. Let's put them on the tree. We're going to make sure mum's on the tree. Grandma's on the tree. Grandpa's on the tree. So it you can be creative with this. And mm-hmm. a search online will bring up lots of ideas yeah. of how to bring in new traditions. Our tradition was... On the anniversary of David's death, we would go to Steak and Shake because he loved to take the girls to Steak and Shake. And we'd have Steak and Shake and milkshakes. Me, personally, not a big Steak and Shake fan, but yes, I'll go to Steak and Shake. Oh, I'm like absolutely so excited. We're going to go to Steak and Shake. Yes, we are. And then we would take it and we would sit by his tree. We have a special tree, that's daddy's tree, and we would mm-hmm. have our Steak and Shake by the tree. And we would hang... Whatever the kids might want to hang on the tree, maybe it were a letter or a card or some beads, and we'd hang them up there on that tree. And that's what we did for that anniversary. Um, I'm working with a family right now, and they've had a, a loss. And so when the first birthday came around, they had a family dinner, and they set a place for that at the family dinner. Mm-hmm. And then they all told a story about dad, mm-hmm. a remember when story which is lovely and there were a lot of tears because it was the first birthday yeah those first yeah we can remember Mm -hmm. back to the first that first year and all of those special occasions definitely yeah yeah and then over time what happens you know over the years there becomes a, a sweetness to it I saw a graphic the other day. I was thinking it was a meme and it had these jars and had a jar and inside was it said grief mm-hmm. and it talked about how, and the grief stayed the same size, but talked about that here's the grief, but then the jar, the life around it gets bigger. Mm-hmm. And so as the life around the grief gets bigger, we get older, we grow up, the traditions evolve, they get more uh, reminiscent mm-hmm. and, and sweet. So we have all this space now where we can grieve out, um, breathe outside of the grief that was in there. I thought it was really good. I'll send it to you, actually, when, when I find it. I love it. I, I saw it, Helen. And, uh, but you saw I'll it? Good. Share it. Yeah, I will definitely share it because I thought it was brilliant. Um, I've seen yeah. one that uses a heart with a hole in the heart. And the hole doesn't get any smaller, but the heart gets bigger okay. to absorb yes. the new love that is around you. And, you know, speaking of that, one of the struggles is always, you know, you're a year later, two years later, three years later, or sooner perhaps, and you're, you're in a relationship. How do you bring the kids into and along with that 
in, in as good a way as possible because yeah. it, sometimes even several years in, it can still be very painful for them and, and oh, absolutely. to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's a reminder that mom or dad isn't there. Mm -hmm. This is one of the things, and I wouldn't say it as mistakes, but I would advise people to be very aware and mindful of what you're doing because it needs to go very slowly. Mm -hmm. If you come in with a new relationship quickly and you have children like four or six years old, those children are going to get very attached very quickly, very attached. They're going to, that person is going to be part of filling the hole. They've got someone who's throwing them up in the air now mm -hmm. and it's somersault time and flips in the pool all the stuff that daddy used to do is now back. And if that relationship doesn't work out, you now have a compound grief going on. Mm -hmm. So you want to go slowly. And, and we see with sort of slightly older children, more of the resentment, more of the feeling like this person is taking my parent away from me. I've already mm -hmm. lost one and now I'm losing this time. And this person is becoming a priority when that child has such an intense need, double mm -hmm. the need that they had before from yep. this one parent. So it is important to have conversations with the children, to check in and see how they're doing about it. Um, what, is there something you want to talk to me about? What do you think about so-and-so? What is it you like about them? Is there anything that you're not really comfortable with? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how we can change that or make that more comfortable. Uh, doing things, meeting maybe outside of the house at first, not in the home. Mm -hmm. If you're in the same home where, where the spouse has been lost. Um, those are just all little things, little bits at first, not having spending going on vacation in the first two months. Yeah. And I think that part of what you're saying is be proactive with it in the conversations and be yes. active with it, right? Ask them their opinion. And certainly as they're yes. older, um, you know, get them into some of the thought process, maybe even before you begin dating, start to have yes. some discussions with them. Like, like, look, you know, there's, uh, I'm not ready to do this now, but here are some mm -hmm. things that I'm thinking about. And yes, beautiful. talk about that a little bit. Any advice there? Well, that's exactly right, Tom. You, that, that's the advice. You, you sort of set the path. You drop little nuggets of, you know, one day, mm -hmm. mom or dad might start, start going on a date again. What do you think about that? And then you, whatever the response is, and of course you do it in an age-appropriate manner. I'm doing it in a way I would do with my kids. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. You would do it differently. <laughs> and, and then you drop another seed. I'm not quite ready for that, but I was thinking about it. I think about what would that be like? Would that be weird for you? Because it can't mm -hmm. be weird, right? Because you're used to daddy and this wouldn't be daddy. And then you just do it. Yeah. Little bits, little drops. But I did that with everything with my children. I had to do it when we had to move house because of finances after David died. I had to drop little pieces Mm -hmm. lead them down the path to, to normal is what yeah. it is, yeah. normalizing the process. And that is that kind of go slow aspect that you spoke yeah. about, right? Where you're, mm -hmm. you're dripping that information to them. You're letting them process this in pieces. Maybe they're yeah. intuiting that, oh, something's up, that mom is mentioning this, mm -hmm. but they're beginning to process it subconsciously, if not consciously. 
Yes, exactly. Helen, I wish I had you to advise me in some of my (laughs) early days, because I can tell you that I did not take all of that advice. But um, through this, you know, making sure that other people learn from our challenges and mistakes is all part of it, right? Exactly. And I wish I'd had me from now 12 years ago, too, because <laughs> yeah, that right. was not the me I am now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When we're in the throes of it. What's the one piece of advice you'd like to give our wid- widows, uh, our widowers, our growth warriors with today about kids and grief, Helen? When or if your child starts acting out, lower grades, the depression, the anxiety, make sure you bring in resources immediately, as quickly as possible to help them in that journey. Don't wait to do it. It's really important. And you have to give them grace in their behavior. Keep the boundaries, give them grace because they're hurting. And that's why they're behaving in the way they may not have before have escalated their behavior. So bring in resources as soon as possible. Don't wait to do it and give your kids grace. Helen, thank you so much for this advice. I know a lot of us have kids, care about them incredibly through this process. And I know that this advice uh, will help a lot of folks. So thank you so much for it. You're welcome, Tom. If you like the content, please hit that like button. Be sure to just subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. And until next time, my growth warriors, keep growing.